he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, thank you for your submission to the Father. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our midst today. Work on our hearts, work on our minds to present us in the way that you would have us. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. We, uh, we've begun this series titled Jesus and Blank, um, where we've cracked open the book of Colossians to glean what we can from its pages. Our first week, we learned from Kurt that the Colossians were a bit double-minded. They need some mentoring in their faith, and uh, from the four chapters that make up this epistle, um, we could see that it very well could double as a message to the American church, because sometimes we're as guilty as the Colossians of one overarching downfall, overcomplicating the gospel. That was our big takeaway from last week, meaning that we should bring ourselves back to the simple understanding of what the gospel tells us about Jesus and what the gospel tells us about ourselves as well. And our text today speaks into this with Paul essentially. Um, he gives the Colossians a refresher course on who it is that they um, are worshiping because it seems like they don't really know. If they did, they wouldn't be adding other things into the equation. You see, the Colossians had what I like to call a spicy faith, you know, when you're cooking or baking or something like that, and you throw a little bit of this in there, a little bit of that in there, just to spice things up a bit. That's how the Colossians were with their faith. They kept adding things to the equation. And what Paul wanted them to understand was that the only thing, the only one that they should be worshiping was Jesus. Because of this overcomplication of the gospel that we talked about last week, Paul brings to their attention uh, yet again who it is they follow. He gives them Jesus' Jesus' credentials, um, so to speak, and this gives this thought that Jesus is better than anything else. He's listed as being the the image of God, the firstborn over all creation, the, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the head of the body, the church. Paul sings the praises of God, not telling the Colossians necessarily anything new, but everything that they need to hear. Starts out, he says, Jesus is the visible image of something invisible. Everything that Jesus is tells us who God is. 
The image here uh, that they're talking about is this exact inner essential likeness of who God is. It's, it's this likeness like a parental likeness in a child, but it doesn't mean that it's a weaker or feeble copy of something. It, it's implying that it's the illumination of this inner core and essence. Hebrews 1 supports this as well. It tells us that the sun is the exact radiance of the glory of God. He's nothing less than a brilliant revelation of who God is. To see Jesus is to see God. And those are some deep concepts to be shared, like right out of the gate, like the first snippet of a sentence. Because Jesus is the image of our Almighty Father, he's then described as being the firstborn of all creation. Just like the Hebrew firstborn in the Old Testament, they got special privilege and responsibility, so Jesus was given that from God as his son. And the Hebrew firstborn was given special um, special privileges is that they got a bigger inheritance and more responsibility and authority over their family. And that's what Jesus has over creation, over the angels and demons and whoever comes against us. And the Colossians were guilty of lowering Jesus to the level of the angels. And Paul wasn't about it, so he explained, um, he explained that Jesus was even greater than that. We know this is true as well of demons because when Jesus was here on earth, he he dealt with these sorts of things. He called, um, in the book of, I think, Mark and Matthew as well, um, this man was demon-possessed. He lived in the Gerasenes, and Jesus told the demons within this man, he's like, all right, you're going to go into this herd of pigs, and they all ran off a cliff, and a bunch of people got mad at Jesus. But that's how it is. Jesus is better than everything else. He is over the whole of creation. There's nothing that does not owe his existence to the creating work of Jesus. Every law of science and nature is an expression of the thought of God. And without Jesus, the universe would just kind of crumble into chaos and nothingness. What many of us view as these scientific laws are actually divine laws that show us the predictability and reliability of our world. Because of that and his work of salvation, there's nothing that will not finally belong to Jesus in the end. All belongs to him. This includes our governing authorities and political parties, and while this isn't an endorsement of one side or the other, we must understand that it's Jesus who has the ultimate authority over these things that are put into place. In the end, he's the only one who will truly be on top, so it might do us well to have our overwhelming devotion in his camp instead of in our earthly powers. You might think of it this way. So you have a supervisor and as well as a boss over them in the workplace. Now, you're going to listen to your supervisor because they are placed over you, you know, to make sure that you do your job and do it the right way and that sort of thing. The authority um, has been set in place to do so. And, but you're probably going to listen to your boss, the person who is on top, before you listen to your supervisor because they have the ultimate authority over all employees. Well, that doesn't keep you from listening to that supervisor, if they were perchance to get something wrong and needed correcting, you would have no problem looking towards your boss, the ultimate superior, for direction. That's how we view Jesus and these earthly powers that he has set into place. We're still going to submit to our earthly authorities. Romans 13 urges us to do so, but that is only as a piece of our devotion to God that we make that a priority. Don't get me wrong, I, I love America, and, and it's a beautiful and great place to live, but who I vote for or don't vote for is not the end-all, be-all. Jesus is. 
That's all I'm going to say about that one. I'm not going to open too much of a can of worms there. In, in verse 17 uh, of, of Colossians 1, it tells us that Jesus is before all things. He's the one that holds it all together. So, just by process of elimination, it seems like we should put him before all of these things. While those around us might be saying, Jesus and vocation, or Jesus and politics, or Jesus and family, Jesus and hobbies, we say, Jesus and Jesus alone. All of these additions can be good things, but only when they're placed second to Jesus. When we begin to put things on the same level, the same pedestal that we place Jesus, that's when we start to have some trouble. The Colossians did this, and we can tend to do that too. When I was a teen, it was baseball. I had God in baseball right here, and I think you guys as well from process of elimination with me being up here know that God won in the end. I had a, a group of friends as well. Half of them chose God as their main focus. The others put some other things um, on the same level as God. They, a couple of them put relationships and God on the same, same level. Another one put this um, party lifestyle up there. They're still in those things. They're having some rough times. And while that isn't to say that Jesus punishes us when we don't follow him or put him first, this only means that when we place worldly things on the same level as Jesus, it leads us down a dangerous path. We should give him our sole devotion as he is the head of the body of the church. The title he's given head here is, is the word in Greek means the source, like where, uh, like where a river comes from. I grew up next to the Columbia River in northern Oregon, and now I live pretty close to where the Rogue is in GP, and um, the head there is the ocean. It's, it's the big part, and, and it's bigger and better and could squash either of those rivers at any point in a heartbeat. Uh, all this to say is that that's what Jesus is for creation. Everything we have and are and will be flows from him. As we see in the book of Romans, we're called to give ourselves as one living sacrifice together as the capital C church for God and to God, and that's supported in 1 Corinthians, which tells us that we are all one body, but that there's many people filling many parts, and as he is our head, we look to Jesus as our guide. He's our source of life. He's our power. He's the goal of the life of the church. And a sobering thought here is that the body can abuse itself. It can misuse itself, making it incapable of serving the mind. So a warning to us in this endeavor is that we as the church can become so listless and undisciplined that we become unusable to God, our head, we should be unlike the Colossians. We shouldn't, we, we shouldn't follow their example. Being, We should be quick to remind ourselves exactly who it is that we serve and how we should be acting as the church. And this also begs the thought as well that the church isn't located um, in a building but in the body of believers where it's not where we go to a building and we, you know, once a week and, and we worship something outside of ourselves, but we let the Holy Spirit permeate our entire being and we're the church wherever we are. So when we work at our jobs, we are being the church to people we interact with there. When we're leading our families, we're showing our children and our spouses the love of the Lord. When we're looking at who to vote for or what to vote for or against, we're looking at it through the lens of our faith in Jesus. When we approach our hobbies, the things that we enjoy, we aren't putting them before Jesus and our involvement in the church. We aren't just putting time in, in, in our church building and serving in some capacity and maybe taking part in a worship service 
It means that Jesus is our number one focus all seven days of the week because he wants to be number one. He wants to be uh, preeminent. He wants to be supreme, as Paul words it here. He's the first one to raise from the dead for this. And for, for this reason, all of who God is was happy to dwell within him. He's first in creation. He's first in the church. And because of his resurrection, he should be first in everything. That's what Paul advocates here. The purpose of God for his son in this is pretty clear, that Jesus alone should be Lord. He's to be supreme in all respects and at every point, and Paul continues to support his case by talking about what Jesus has done on the cross. And up to this point, he hasn't really shared that. He hasn't really talked about it much, but he says, I can go on here, so we're going to talk about Jesus and what he has done for us. And he begins by just saying that only Jesus is capable of completing this reconciliation between God and us. Because, as we said, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. There's a permanence to that. Meaning that that God put all of his power and his deity within Jesus, and it's there to stay. Before God lived in the temple, when he led the Israelites in the Old Testament, he lived in the temple, but now he lives within Jesus, and he spoke to us, communicated to us, through him. Through Jesus was the creation of all things, and through him was the reconciliation of all things. And when he died on the cross, he restored in principle the harmony in our physical world, even though it wouldn't be fully realized until he returned. One commentary that I was looking at said, said this, and I thought it was really awesome. He said, the main idea is clear and majestic. It's the purpose of God in the gift of his son to abolish all the disorder of the universe and to bring into perfect and abiding harmony all powers and beings in heaven and on earth. Oof, beautiful. What this means is that Jesus' end goal in his death on the cross was to reconcile all things and all people to himself and to take all the disorder that we have in our broken and sinful world and restore it to God. The reconciliation that he brought was for the entire universe. It's not for a select group of people. It's not for a certain time frame. It is for everybody. And he lists earth first in that. Because the things that stand closest to the cross are the first to experience the effects of it and its healing power. This is what the Colossians needed to know. This is what they needed to be reminded of, that if they were to grow as Christians, increasing in this wisdom and and power and patience and thanksgiving and all these things that God wants for us, that they had, had to have that based on the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus. The more they got to know Jesus and know about Jesus, the more they were going to understand that God is the true God and, and what he's done is important. Who they are as a result of, of that belief and what it means to live in and for him. That is what they needed to know and that is what we need to rediscover today. The great thing about all of this is that uh, the more we look at Jesus, the more we realize that the true God here is the, the God of self-giving love. That's, that's why this comes right after Paul's prayer in, in the first you know, 14 verses, Paul prays that the Colossians will learn how to be grateful to God. When we realize that Jesus reveals who God is, gratitude and devotion are the first and most appropriate reactions. And our ability to do this relies on remembering the three R's. Uh, I remember when I was a young kid, 
think it was my grandpa who told me this. He's like, you got to remember, you got to be diligent in your studying of the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I'm not speaking of those, partially because of the phonetic differences and everything. Um, the ones that I'm speaking of and Paul is speaking of, more importantly, are very crucial. The first one, the first R, is to remember your main focus. Remember your main focus. For those of us that follow Jesus, our main focus is Jesus. When I came on staff at Redwood, I started reading this book called Your First Two Years in Youth Ministry. I was like, I'm going to be a youth pastor. Seems like a good introduction to this thing. And from that book, I took 12 little concepts, and I wrote them on a piece of notebook paper, and I tacked them up on my wall. And the first one on that list says, remember your main focus. Your main focus should be Jesus 10 out of 10 times. Jesus himself, he said that uh, to the Pharisees in the book of Matthew. He, he told them this, and they would eventually be responsible for his death, but he says, you should love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. The idea is that you take everything that you are and you surrender that to God. He's your main focus. He's, he becomes your everything, and you, you can't remember anything that was ever more important to you than your relationship with Jesus. We talk about this in regards to, to communion. Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples and he gave them the bread and the wine which were going to represent his body that was to be broken and the blood that he was going to shed on the cross and he said, take this in remembrance of me. We have this specific time that we, we set aside in our weekly services for you guys to do so and I find that incredibly important to my devotion to God. The key is not to forget it in between Sundays. I know there's a lot of stuff that can distract us during the week, but nothing trumps the importance of Jesus. So remember your main focus. The next R is to recenter your motives and actions. Uh, Paul speaks to this in verses 21 through 23, which are related to the previous six verses, um, but they kind of flow from them. Um, Paul tells the Colossians where they are in relation to Jesus, because honestly, the, the first few verses about Jesus and his supremacy were a bit overwhelming. That's a lot to take in. And previous to following Jesus, or maybe even at the current juncture that Paul wrote this letter to them, the Colossians' lives reflected who they worshipped, and it wasn't him. Their thinking was distorted. They were muddled into one misunderstanding after another, and their actions were outside of this wonderful, enriching human existence that God had given them. So here Paul tells them where they are. If you can imagine it this way, it's, like when you go to a, a mall, and I don't like to spend too much time in malls because um, usually you're wandering around and you're like, oh, I'll go into this store, I'll go into this store, and then after a little bit, you're lost. You're, you're, you're lost and you're wandering around, you're like, none of these stores look familiar, I've wandered into the part of the mall where they keep the holy jeans, and now I'm uneasy. Where am I? And lo and behold, you see off to the, off to the right here, that little... I don't know, it's a billboard of sorts, and you walk up to it, and it has the layout of the mall, and a little dot in the middle, and it says, you are here. I personally um, would love these if they just kept them in grocery stores, because that's the one place that I'm, like, the most incompetent. It's, I, I just feel dumb when I go to the grocery store, because everything that we ever need is, is the most difficult thing to find. So I would appreciate having a sign where you just know where you are, and also where you should be. So that would be very helpful to me. But what Paul is, what Paul is saying to the Colossians um, and to us in relation to our faith here is that this is where we are. At one point, 
we started out alienated, hostile towards God because of the sin in our lives. We were against him because we were sinful, and while that isn't necessarily a uh, essential part of our nature, we invited that sin in. We made that essential, and because of that, it, it manifested itself into our deeds, and that became worse and worse, and we were just at odds with God. However, Jesus died for us, and because of that, we are no longer aliens. We are no longer hostile. We are now reconciled, and Paul is calling them to this remembrance of the reconciliation of Jesus. They needed a reminder. They needed a pick-me-up. They needed to act like they were reconciled to their creator. If you're reconciled to God, there isn't anything that you would find more important than your relationship with him, because Jesus didn't die, so you could set him aside for personal preferences. Jesus didn't die so you could set him aside for politics. Jesus didn't die so you could set him aside for fill in the blank. He died so you could recognize how great he is and how much better life is when you follow him. There shouldn't be anything that you find more important than your faith in the Almighty. There shouldn't be anything that you find more important than leading your family to the cross and, and to worship your Redeemer. There shouldn't be anything that you find more important than leading his church, bringing new people to Jesus, and making disciples. It's the secondary goal of Jesus to present you in a way that you can do so, first of all, by being holy like he is holy. That we strive to live a life like Jesus. Because when we follow his example and live like him, we show people exactly what he's like. Secondly, by being blameless, meaning that we are unable to be pinned down by the sin that was in our lives. We, we work in tandem with the Holy Spirit and we take the things that really trip us up and we diminish their hold on us. We no longer let those things rule our lives. Finally, this presents us as being above reproach, meaning that we, we keep a watch on ourselves, that we don't go back into those sinful ways and we're doing the right thing. We are made to be like Jesus, who is this sacrificial lamb without blemish without spot perfect in every way in the eyes of the lord and that's what god wants for us that's how we become like him if we continue our faith in him that's how paul words it he says if you continue in your faith dot 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 if you make the choice to check your motives and actions to check your heart to practice this devotional remembrance of who your main focus is you will revive your relationship with jesus That's our last R, revive your relationship with Jesus. We do this simply by making a choice. We make the choice to have an unwavering devotion to King Jesus and his gospel. So when Twitter and Facebook and the television are all saying that politics is the most important, we are standing up and proclaiming, gonna have to correct you, Jesus and Jesus alone. When all of our buddies are waking up on Sunday morning to watch football and lounge about, you're the one saying, actually, I'm going to go to church because Jesus and Jesus alone. When the people at your school or your college or your workplace are all trying to give you some sort of perspective on what the best thing for you is, you're just putting a hand up and you're stepping back and you're saying, Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't know where you're coming from today. I I don't know if you're on fire for Jesus, if you're really going gangbusters in your faith right now. Uh, Maybe you're towards the middle, you're feeling a little stagnant, you need to pick me up. Or maybe you're in church for the first time or the second time or or you've been coming recently just to see what this whole Jesus thing is about. But when you look at Jesus and you look at everything else, Jesus wins every time. 
Jesus is better. Jesus is greater, and he is worthy of our praise and our devotion.